Well, I invite you to take God's Word and open it to Psalm 90 this morning. Psalm 90. Be looking this morning at verse 1 to 17, looking at the whole psalm. I'd like to ask that if you're able that you would stand out of reverence for the very words of God as they are read once again this morning. Psalm 90, let's hear what Moses writes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Will you join me in prayer? Our Father, we thank you for your word that speaks truth to us and points us to the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Lord, would you use your word to give us life? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, here we are at the end of another year. 
The end of 2018 is fast approaching. 2019 will be here on Tuesday. During the end of the year, and especially the week after Christmas, and that week there in between New Year, many look back over and consider the events of the past year, the days that have gone by. We see this all around us, don't we? Year in reviews, sorts of articles popping up, the top news stories of 2018, major storms that occurred this past year, best sports moments, best tech gadgets, etc., etc. But also, as people look back, we know that during this time, we likewise look forward. We look forward to the new year. Many people are into this thing called New Year's resolutions, where they actually look and say, I need to change these sorts of things in my life, and so I'm going to start anew with these resolutions for the upcoming year. Well, Psalm 90 is similar in flavor to this because it calls on us to step back and look at the big picture of our lives and make some appropriate biblical changes. It calls on us to step back and consider our life and life in general and then change the way we live in the present, change the way we live from day to day. The psalm speaks about the reality of death and that that is the future for all of us unless the Lord returns. And so somewhat what this psalm does, it just calls us to consider our own mortality and it calls us to say, hey, listen, step back and look at your life and realize that you are one day going to die. That is your future unless the Lord returns. And live accordingly because of that truth. So this psalm will cause us to consider our own mortality. It desires for us to consider that afresh this morning and therefore to live differently because of it. As the title indicates, Moses wrote this psalm. In fact, this is the oldest psalm in the book of Psalms. And you'll see there in the, in the title, which is, is inspired scripture, it says, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. This is a prayer of Moses, but this is also a prayer that is to be sung. Because we know the book of Psalms is the Hebrew hymnal. It's the Old Testament hymnal for the saints of God that they would sing as they gathered for worship. And a large portion of this psalm, Psalm 90 and other psalms also, has a very somber tone to it, as do other songs in this book. And I think that teaches us something, teaches us that we need to sing not just jubilant songs in our worship, but we also need to sing contemplative songs. The Psalms, as you know, has a wider range of emotions as you read through this fabulous book. And I'm thankful for Adam's hard work in overseeing the songs that we do sing in our worship service to make room for a wide array of songs and not songs and tunes and not just ones that are all happy and upbeat, but likewise ones that cause us to consider 
mortality and death and consider assurance and lament and hope and grief and all of those things to be a part of our worship to God. So we see here that Moses is the author of this. It's a prayer, but it's also a song, a song that is to be sung. It is a hymn. Moses, as you know, God raised up from Egypt to lead his people out of slavery and to wander in the wilderness for 40 some odd years. And this psalm calls us to see that our life is short on earth, and because life is short, we are to live in faithfulness to God all the days that God gives us of our life. It will help us see that we need God's mercy and grace at work in our lives to establish the things that he has called us to do. So it's my prayer as as we come to this text that it would teach us to look at the reality of death that lies in front of each and every one of us and to say, I'm going to live in faithfulness to God, working hard for the things that God has called you to do and working hard while realizing God is the one who gives it the growth and God is the one who ultimately establishes everything we do. There are four main points that we're going to see in this psalm. Uh, The first is that God is eternal. We'll see that in the first two verses. God is eternal. Then we're going to see that man is temporary in the next couple of verses. Man is temporary. Then we're going to see that man is temporary because of sin. And lastly, we're going to see that we need God's grace to make life meaningful. We need God's grace to make life meaningful. So let's begin here first off in the first couple of verses as we see Moses points us first of all to the fact that God is eternal. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God." First thing Moses mentions here is the presence of God in the lives of his people. Just think about it for just a moment as you consider Moses in the Old Testament. Moses lived in many places. He was born in Egypt, then he left Egypt to go to the desert where he met his wife and God brought him back to Egypt. Then God called him out of Egypt into the wilderness where basically they lived as nomads as they just circled around for 40 years so that God could kill them off and raise up their children to go into the promised land. And Moses is acknowledging God's presence with Israel of old. He's acknowledging God's presence in his generation that God had been with them, or rather, they had been with God wherever they went. Instead of a particular place or city being their dwelling place, God himself is described as their dwelling place. They have dwelt with God. In whatever place they lived, God was in the midst of his people, and that's even what we've been celebrating in this month of December. We've been celebrating Emmanuel, God with us, that he is with us no matter where we live. Those of you who have moved around a bunch, have you not especially seen this to be true in your life? 
that wherever you go, wherever your work and ultimately the Lord takes you, God is there with you. God dwells with his people. His people dwell with God. God has been present with us. And Moses is acknowledging that fact here, that no matter where we have gone, God is with us. What a great comfort that is to us. Next, Moses speaks about the eternality of God, that God has always been. Beautiful language here, poetic. Even before the mountains were formed, God was there. Even before the earth was made, God was there. This last week, while uh, driving through the mountains, beautiful Appalachian Mountains, I couldn't help but think about this very verse of looking out and seeing uh, the clouds upon the mountains and to consider their beauty and to consider that even before those things were formed, God was there. Even before anything was brought forth, there was God. Before anything was ever created, before all of that, there was God. Before anything that you see today, all of the things that we're able to see with the most powerful telescopes that we have to reach out as far as we can see and know, before any of that was brought forth, there was God. God has no beginning. God has no end. From everlasting to everlasting, God is God. Just realize afresh today the majesty, the greatness, the enormity of who it is we gather together today to worship. The object of our worship and who He is. Before anything was created, there was God. You see, it all starts with God. That is our starting point. If we are going to know anything about ourselves, we don't begin with ourselves. We begin with God, the one who created us. In order to learn who you are, in order to learn why you are here in this earth, in order to know why you are breathing, you must begin with God and who He is and what He says about you. Because before anything was, there was God. We need an outside voice to tell us about our predicament. If we try to understand life from our own perspective, through our eyes of what we perceive as reality, through what we perceive in our mind as it's been shaped by many factors, if we seek to perceive life through our experience, we will get it wrong. We need the Word of God who created us to tell us about ourselves to tell us what is right, to tell us what is wrong, to tell us what sin is, and ultimately to tell us that we are sinners in need of a Savior and the truth of Jesus Christ. You see, we don't work our way to God and feel ourselves out about Him. No, we listen to what God says about us, and we see that here in this psalm. It begins with God, the truth of God, of who He is and who we are in light of being created. God always has been, always will be. Believe in Him. Believe in the truth that He gives in His Word and this psalm teaches us. God is eternal. 
Second thing we see here in these verses, verse 3 and 6, it's a contrast to God being eternal. And it contrasts God eternality with the frailness and temporality of man. And so we see a contrast between God and us. Look at verse 3 and 4. This is who God is, and he says, You return man to dust, and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You see, we are not like God because our bodies turn back into dust. Our bodies turn into dust. God created us from the dirt of the ground and back to the dirt we will one day go. That is our plot. We return to the dirt, but not so with God. But with God, verse 4 tells us, a thousand years are just like a day. Or it's just like a watch in the night, something that's here and something that's gone. A few hours. Early on in the Old Testament, and Moses would know this to be very much true, some people lived into their 900s. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what that that would be like? I mean, living into your, you you know, your teenage years of 400s, you know, and your 200s, 300s. These people were living a very long time. Even Methuselah that we know lived 969 years. Even if that were the case, it would be like a day to God. In his perspective, even living thousands of years, a thousand years would be like a day to God because of God's majesty and God's greatness and who he is. You see this contrast with the frailness of mankind to the eternality of God. New Testament speaks this way too. 2 Peter 3.8 says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. God stands outside of time. He sees the beginning from the end, and we are born, we die, man is frail, man is mortal. Verse 5 and 6 continue to push this, and just by the way, hang with us here with, with Moses. He's pushing towards something here. We have to get this news first. Verse 5 and 6, he says, You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and is withered. Moses likens mankind and the life of mankind to two things here, to a flood or dream and grass. A flood comes quickly and is gone. And we wake up from dreams. They're here for a minute, and then they are gone. A little over a week ago, maybe you heard about the tsunami in Indonesia uh, that was caused by uh, Anak Krakatoa, Krakatoa, excuse me, Krakatoa, actually. The, the uh, volcano that erupted, it formed a landslide. The landslide went uh, into the sea there, and it caused a displacement of the water that ushered ushered forth quickly, and in 24, 25 minutes on the land, boom, this water began to come in, and over 400 people were killed. Saw a video of that, of a band that was playing 
uh, in this place. And there was a, the, a video of a band that was sitting there playing. And literally, as they were playing, they did not see it from behind. Here came a wave. It hit them. It threw the drums into uh, uh, the people that were there watching. And I think everybody in the, van, in the band died just like that. Our life is here and our life can be so quickly taken away just like that and you don't see it coming. It's like grass, like in the Middle East, grass that I'm told that pops up in the morning because of the dew and the moisture upon it and then in the evening the sun scorches it and it's gone. Well, that's how Moses describes mankind. You see, what Moses is doing is he's putting things into perspective for us. In the large scheme of things, in the large scheme of life and history, you are like grass that is here in the morning and gone in the evening. You're like a flood that is here, it comes and takes away. It's here and gone. Our life is short. The Bible speaks of our life as a mist that is there and then it's gone. Like a vapor, like a a puff of smoke that you see and then you don't see. And all of this is pointing us to listen, how we live in life is drastically important. So Moses is teaching us here, look, God is eternal but man is temporal. Man is temporal and then he takes us to another very important truth in verses seven to 11. Man is temporal because of sin. Moses teaches us here ultimately why it is that we die. Why do we die? Why do our bodies just start to decay and fall apart and ache and break and give us trouble? In short, the wages of sin is death. Verse 7 and 8 say, For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. You see, Moses knew very well about the wrath of God. Oh, who can stand before God Almighty? And Moses knew this of God. It was Moses who struck the rock at Meribah with his staff when he was angry when God told him to speak to it. It was Moses who wandered around in the desert with the Israelites as they died there. Listen to this. It's assumed that 15,000 Israelites a year died in the wilderness. 15,000 a year. Moses would have seen this and been around that continually. He saw what happened to Israel when they did not receive the report from Joshua and Caleb that God would give us the land. But they listened to the other 10 spies. God punished them for their lack of faith. Moses knew how God is a God of wrath. And how God knows all of our secret sins. Verse 9 to 11, no doubt, probably speak about Israel's time in the wilderness. It says, therefore our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or, by, or even by reason of strength 80. 
Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Moses is very frank about our temporality in these verses. And trust, he's going somewhere, but he wants us to consider this fact. To pause and consider your life. We know all too well that our life is soon gone, and as Moses says, we fly away. We might be around 70 or possibly 80 years, maybe more, but not too much, and then we die. Life expectancy hasn't changed all that much uh, since this time. We are frail. Let me just pause for a moment and say, because this is kind of dreary, and you say, why in the world did you pick Psalm 90 uh, to preach on? Couldn't you find something else in the Bible besides this sort of stuff? But listen, it's, it's this sort of hard punches, at, at least for me, that are just encouraging to the faith because the Bible doesn't just sugarcoat everything. The Bible just isn't some sort of Pollyanna sort of going through life with your rose-colored glasses on saying, oh, it's all great, it's all good, just be a Christian, everything's fine. I'm just so thankful the Bible doesn't do that. No, it looks at the reality for what it is and it says what it is. Many times life stinks, life's hard, we die, there's toil, there's trouble, there's grief, there's sorrow. I'm thankful for the frankness of the Bible. We always try to push back our age, don't we? Some of you probably already mad at Moses for saying 70 or 80 because you are 70 or you're 60 and you're thinking, well, my goodness, that just means I have 10 more years. A lot of people say 70 is the new 50, right? I read an article this last week about saying if you could live to 2050, that you could reach immortality because they're, they're going to be able to prolong your life for basically ever. You're going to be able to get some new stuff, not for people like me or you probably have to be like super duper duper rich, but they'll just keep replenishing you with organs, etc. See, man has this within them that, that they don't want to die and they're trying to prolong life. And the Bible comes along and says, here's the reality. We die and we die because of sin. That is our plight. Death is brought about by sin. The wages of sin is death. And because of sin, we slowly deteriorate. We grow frail. Sickness comes. Not necessarily because of of, of a particular sin that we have committed that death comes. I'm just speaking about sin entering into this world and the life of this world that we live into, sickness, all these things come upon us. This is exactly where the gospel comes in to speak truth to us. Where many times we say, well, death is death is natural. Or death is just a part of living. No, no, it's not. The Bible speaks about death as an enemy. An enemy brought about by sin and an enemy that has been defeated through the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that went through the grave. And guess what? It was the death of death when Christ rose victorious from the grave. 
And it's that truth that the gospel speaks into the reality of sin and the brokenness of this world and the frailness of this world that the gospel of Jesus Christ comes in and says, Christ has overcome and defeated death. Trust in him. Trust in what he's done for you and receive eternal life. Trust in the promises of God that come from outside of you to tell you that you are a sinner and that you need a Savior, Jesus Christ, and that Jesus lived that perfect life of obedience to God and died on the cross passively for your sins. The Bible's very clear, and Moses is clear here. Our sin brings about death, and our life is short. The Bible continues on, though, it says in verse 12 to 17, we see a point that we need God's grace to make life meaningful. That's the plot of our life. Life is short. We know that. What's our response to this fact that life is like a vapor? That life is like a mist here and gone. What's your response as you step back from your own life to consider that one day it's going to be you at that funeral, that it's going to be your funeral. What's your response to that truth? How should we live as Christians? Because that is the fact. Verse 12 speaks to us. says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You see, wisdom first comes comes through knowing that our life is short. Many people in this world live without any thought to to their mortality. Many people live and they live as though they are unconscious or at least they're blinded to the fact that one day they will die. That, That future reality doesn't have any bearing on the way that they're currently living. They don't consider the end of the path that they're walking on. And this is honestly sheer madness. The Bible calls us to number our days and realize that we exist in this life to worship and glorify God. The Bible calls us in wisdom to know and to realize that one day we will die. James Montgomery Boyce, a a commentator on this psalm and pastor, he said this, of all the mathematical disciplines, this is the hardest to number our days. We count everything else, but we do not seem to be able to use our days rightly and with wisdom. And the reformer Martin Luther said in his commentary on this psalm and on verse 12, he said, The vast mass of humanity lives out its life as though there were no death and, for that matter, no God. It's easier for many to just not think about death or dying and just to continue on and carry on with their life. Many people ignore this truth. They just ignore that fact and just go on their merry way. Ecclesiastes 7.2 kind of shockingly says, 
It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. What what that verse is basically saying is, it's better to go to a funeral than it is to a party. (laughs) And you say, well, how's that the case? I mean, it might be the case for Notre Dame fans in a bowl game, but I mean, how is that... How is that the case? Right? Oh, sorry, just lighten the mood for a second. But, but how is that the case that it's better to go to a funeral? And, and just quite frankly, I was thinking about this yesterday uh, in the funeral that we had here for Dan to sit there and funerals are sad. And sit in there and say, how can this be better than a party? Going to a party. Wouldn't it be better to go to a party and this truth was just uh, brought back afresh in that moment look it's better because if you realize in a funeral that that is one day going to be you that should change you to live differently and to trust in the Lord and to be obedient to him all the days of life that he has given to you. And if that happens, that is better than any party you could go to. Because any sort of, of, of party is going to be here and it's going to be gone. But the lasting effects of realizing that we are frail and living differently because of that is drastically better and important. It's such a tragedy for many to go to uh, a funeral and not consider their own mortality. I'm so thankful. Yesterday's funeral was so great just because it just pointed to all of these sorts of truths. And I couldn't help as I was just sitting there weeping throughout, (laughs) weeping throughout this funeral because you, you just kind of put yourself in that place. Right, And you put yourself kind of there and you think about your kids and you're saying, well, how am I living as a father or how am I living as a person or, or, or how am I doing in the things that God has given me to do? How am I living in response of that? Am I, am I living in obedience to the Lord? And that's what's supposed to happen. To say, let me be about making my life meaningful. It would be hard not to contemplate that after going to a funeral, but listen, it happens It happens. People can be confronted with death, confronted with that reality, and then they sort of just put put, put their hands over their eyes, as it were, metaphorically, and they they just, ah, ah, and put their hands in their ears, and they just walk on and go with life. And just go on out and continue going through the, well, that's, that's sad, but let me just move on. And think about something else and let me just go to this and, and, and let me carry on with life and I don't want to go to another funeral again. No, it's good to do that because we contemplate the reality of our frailty and that we realize that will one day soon be us and we need to change the way we live because of it. The point is realize that life is short and since our days are few, we must make the most of the time God gives us on this earth Moses continues on with five petitions in verse 13 to 16. He asks for a number of things because of this truth and because of this reality. He says, first of all, he asks God to return. Return, God, have pity on us, verse 13. Secondly, he says, satisfy us. 
Satisfy us in verse 14 with your steadfast love. Let your love satisfy us. Make us glad, verse 15. I love the reality of that. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. For as many years as we have seen evil. And oh, how we see evil in this life. Show us your work, verse 16. Lord, let let, let your work be shown to your servants. Let us see the things that you are doing in the midst of all of this. Establish our work, Lord, verse 17. Return, have pity, give us satisfaction to be satisfied in God's love. You see, we as people, we search for satisfaction in so many other places. We look for satisfaction and joy in things other than God. Right, especially, I mean, you, you know how it is, especially with stuff, how you think stuff make, is gonna make you happy and you're so happy to get the stuff and you can't wait to get the stuff and maybe you got your stuff for Christmas and now you're like, <laughs> there's some more stuff I would like to have, right? And you consider on and thankfully for all the tech, there'll always be better stuff coming. No, satisfy us with the love of God that satisfies our life. Satisfy us with your love. Let us forsake the things of this world and find our satisfaction in the things of God. It was St. Augustine that said, you made us for yourself and our hearts find no peace until they find rest in you. Verse 16, Moses asked God for his glorious power and his works to be shown not only to them but to their children as they would enter into the promised land. And lastly, Moses asked for God's favor to be upon us and that he would establish the things that we do. Look at verse 17 one more time. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of of our hands. The only way that our life is going to have meaning is if God establishes the work of our hands. If God and His Spirit are not in it, then it will fail and have no eternal worth. In the New Testament, Paul speaks about our lives being tested as with fire. And only those things that are built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ will survive. They are the only things that will matter. Everything else is going to be burned up. The life of a Christian is a life of total dependence upon God. As Adam mentioned, yesterday Christians ought to be the most humblest people in the world because they've received the grace of God. Because we know of all people, we can't make things happen of our own plans and power. We can't cause stuff to happen because of our own efforts, our own brilliance. God says the best you got is like foolishness. In fact, if God was foolish, and he's not, but the foolishness of God is better than your great stuff. God's able to do it. We are people who rely 
on what God does for us. We know that because we find that in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we can't save ourselves. We can't do enough things that God will save us. No, we have to trust in the one who did all of these things to save us. That's just Christianity 101, the gospel 101. God is the one that makes it happen. Because we know we can't make things happen for ourselves. Years ago, the Lord pounded this truth uh, into me, and it's affected me. I still remember that day. Marcia and I, this was before uh, we had kids and when I had more energy. We, we were at my parents' house, and um, we were getting ready to go overseas. And uh, there was a kite there. I like kites. I like to fly kites. Uh, don't do it much anymore. But I wanted to go out on parents' cow pasture big field behind the house and I went up on top of that and I was going to try to just fly the kite get it getting out of the house and you know how it is I'm, I'm trying to get it started and then I begin taking off running and I'm just running running and I've got this kite and I'm running it starts to go up a little bit but as soon as I slow down the kite shh, comes right down and then I start running again and I start running back and forth. this is what I mean about having energy so I'm, I'm running back and forth just trying to get this fl- uh, kite going and it doesn't do it and I get so tired and I quit And then all of a sudden, here comes this breeze gushing up. And it gushed up. And all I did, I threw the kite up, and then the breeze took it, and and out little things, you know, it's rolling. And there it went up, and it was in that moment that the Lord taught me something. And he was teaching me this. Say, look, all your effort, it's all for naught, unless the Holy Spirit's behind it. It's all for naught unless the Spirit of God is establishing it. You see, and that's the same thing for us in our own lives continually. All the work, and we are to work. You see that here. Establish the work of our hands upon us. We we work, but God is the one who makes things happen. God is the one who gives it the growth. Let us be a people that depend upon God. God. In our evangelism, let us wholly pray and depend upon God to do the work through us as we're faithful to share the gospel with other people this year. In our parenting, let us trust the Lord to do the work in our kids that maybe we so desperately want to do and want to see happen. Let us realize and not throw ourselves into a tizzy knowing that we can't make it happen. God is the one to do it. Trust him to establish the work of your hands. In your work and in your profession, work hard, do your best, work as unto the Lord in the things that God has called you to do and trust in Him to bring about the results to His glory. Young people, work hard in school, work hard in college, doing your best, taking best of the opportunities that God has put before you all the while doing it with a dependency and trust upon the Lord to establish and guide you in the things that he's called you to do. In all of our lives, if God is not in the work, then it's not going to matter much. We have a lot, as Adam mentioned, coming before us this year. 
Those of you on the capital campaign team and the building planning team and our pastor who's been going like this, you know there's a lot of work that is taking place. Let us do all of that work being dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God, asking him to establish the work of our hands. Because we know Psalm 127, one is true. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. We're completely dependent upon the grace of God to make life meaningful, to establish the work he's called us to do. Let us do it with total dependence upon God. Listen, life is short. We have been confronted painfully so with that truth. Life is short. Do the math. Do the math. Teach us to number our days Realize this truth. Let it propel you to faithfulness, knowing that the things that God does through us are the things that last and are important. God has work for each of us to do. God has work for each of you to do this upcoming year. Will you be faithful? Will you work and work hard trusting in God to establish the work of your hands. May God satisfy each of us in his son Jesus Christ and may the reality of the brevity of life propel us to live in faithful obedience to him. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the bluntness of your word. Father, we are confronted with our frailty. Lord, we're confronted with our dependence upon you. Thank you for coming into this fallen world to bring redemption and light and life through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be faithful in the things that you've called us to do to your glory. Help us be a humble, dependent people as we seek to do what you've given us to do. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.